Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7. Start at verse 2 of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. First, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you. We praise you for being God. Truly, God, help us to focus on you, to devote our lives to you, to truly trust in you. It's your name that we live. It's your name that we now pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And we're going to take a slight deviation in what we've been talking about. Because, um, like, over maybe a little, just about a week ago, there was a tragedy that took place in our nation, in our land. A great legend died. And... It really was something that, that, that caught me off guard a little bit. It's a guy I semi-respected as a hard worker, a devoted guy, especially to his craft. And that really caused me to think about a lot of things. And one of the things that he really caused me to think about was death. And I, this great legend and this great tragedy that I'm talking about is the death of Dr. Jack Van Impey. That Jack Van Impey went home to see the Lord just about a week ago. And it caught me off guard because, like I said, you just used to Dr. Jack being on TV. Like, the dude like 100 years old. And as long as there have been preachers on TV, it seems like he's been there. <laughs> Dr. Jack Van Impey. And one of the main things that Dr. Jack make people think about is that one day, you're going to see Jesus. And you better be ready. And you need to know your word and know your Bible because this dude was a devoted memorizer of scripture. And so just going through this while the rest of the world was going through their tragedy and everybody's talking about Kobe, it just like caused me to reflect and it created a conversation I had a couple years ago with a young lady at work back when uh, Prince died. She's 80s baby, big Prince fan. And that's just like the worst thing that happened in the world. Like Prince died. And I didn't even know. She came to work like, you know Prince died? And it's a whole big deal. And she asked a question that delighted me a little bit. Her question was, like, what do you think he was doing? Like, grand question. Like, the minute after he died, what do you really think happened? And she's like, no, you get deep now. <laughs> well, you asked me what he was doing. Like, I don't know what he was doing before he died, but what was he doing after he died? What, what happened? What was going on in the life of Prince as we were discussing the life of Prince? Like those moments right after, what was it that he was experiencing? What was it that he went through? 
what is it that death brings about in the existence of a human being? And I think this is something that we need to think about. And it's something that the scripture encourages us to take into mind, to consider our lives. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It's a very obscure scripture, but it got some weighty truth in it. It said, it is better go to go to the house of mourning than to the go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the continence, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. Let's think about what he's just saying now. Because it seems counterintuitive. Saying it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Literally what he's saying there is, it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. Like, hold up. That don't make any sense. Like Solomon, he was depressed when he was writing this. And what he was driving at is that there's a common thing that happens to all men and it's called death. And the living needs to lay that to heart. We need to think about that. And that those times of mourning, those times of sorrow cause us to reflect. It causes us to take into account just what we are as human beings. We are beings that will expire at some point and at some time. So that's why in the mind of Solomon, he said, it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. It's better to be filled with sadness than filled with joy. And what he mean by the better is it puts your mind in a proper place where you consider your state. Go to Psalms 90. We're going to flip a little bit. Psalms chapter 90. Well, Moses echoes the same point. Psalms chapter 9, we'll start at verse 2. It said, Before the mountains were brought forth, I ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of man. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it passed, and as a watch in the night. For thou carest them away with the flood, and they are as a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee and our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath and we spend our years as a tale that is old. The days of our years are threescore and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet it is, it is their strength, labor, and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? And even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. This is the prayer of the song of Moses. He's considering God and he's setting that contrast, the greatness and the vastness of the might and the power and the anger of God to the frailty of man. And the thing that he draws the contrast is that forever and never you are God. But you set man to destruction. And he's given this picture that of what death truly is. And it is something that we lose. That death is punishment. 
Death exists because God has poured out his wrath upon the earth. Death is an expression of our judgment for being sinners and being born sons of Adam. And that's what we experience and that what we go through. And it's come as a part of the anger of God that we are consumed. But Moses said this prayer. He says, so teach us in verse 12 to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So in the mind of Moses, if we take account of our days, if we take account of our years, if we count up our times, if we consider how short life is, so that will give us to apply our hearts to wisdom. So it's a wise thing for us to see and to understand and to know that life is short. As he gave the contrast that to God, a thousand years is as but yesterday. So this vast amount of time, a thousand years to God is as but yesterday. And just think about our lives. Like how many of us have been around a hundred years? We got none of them in here. And very few of us know a lot of people that have been around a hundred years. But a hundred is only 10% of a thousand. And to God, a thousand is like last night. You just went to sleep and woke up. So your time span and the time span of eternity, you, you're a blip on the screen. We are dust. We just a small little piece of something. And what Moses is saying, we need to number that. And he's praying to God, teach us, train us, discipline us so that we can, uh, uh, we can number our days, take an account to our lives, and that will apply our hearts to wisdom. So it's a wise thing for us to consider death. It's a wise thing for us to take into account just how short our lives are. We need to consider it. Go to Psalms again. Psalms 39. Just run this. Psalms chapter 39, verse 4. It says, Lord, make me to know my end in the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a hand breath, and my ages as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. Well, this is David talking about how short man is. And he said, make me to know my end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. So he's praying to God, help me to know how weak I am, how short my days is, how vain it is. Go to Psalms 102. Just run this theme a little bit. Psalms 102 verse 8 says, My enemies approach me all the day, and they that are mad against me are sworn against me. For I have eaten the ashes like bread and my and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of thine indignation and thy wrath, for thou hast lifted me up and cast me down. My days are like a shadow that decline in it, and I am withered like grass. This is David talking about his life. Say, my days are like a shadow that decline it. It's a very poetic picture. So just like the shadow 
in the evening time is going down. He says, so is my days. It's declining. Just a matter of the turning of the sun. That's how short my life is. And like the grass that withers it. So just like a shadow turns and and as soon as a point, it disappears. So is our lives. Go to flip over to the next page or the next chapter. Y'all on them electronic Bible. Psalms 103. 103. Verse 13. It's like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Why? Because he knoweth our frame and he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass and as a flower of a field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it and is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto the children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. Man is just like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. So, just like grass, you grow up one day, and the next day you moan down. You get height and you green, and the next day you brown and you dusty. Like man is like dust. That's just what we are. That you exist, but soon we shall be blown away. This is what the Bible gives a depiction of our lifespan and our lifetime. And Moses and, and Solomon tells us that it's wisdom for us to take this into heart. That one day soon we shall be cut down. That life is short. That we're frail. That we're weak. And that at our best. It's like you like the dust. You like grass. You like a flower that fades away. And so is our life. Go to James. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 verse 12. I think I'm on. Verse 13. So go to now. You that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeared for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say if the Lord will we shall live and do that, this or that. But now you rejoice in your boasting all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is sin. Now James added a little extra weight to this. Like those of you who got plans. Those of you who who saying what you're going to do. He said go to now. So whatever it is. That's on your heart to do. James saying start doing it now. And he asked a very deep and philosophical question. Because what is life? Like what is life? That's the question that he asked. What is life? What is this existence that we partake in? What is our day-to-day ground? What is it? And he gives a very disheartening answer. 
So life is what he called it, a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. He's saying that's what our life is. It's a vapor. The steam that come off the stove when you're boiling the water for your hot dogs. Like that's what your life is. Some you see it as soon as it leaves from the pot, it goes into the air and you never see it again. Saying that's what life is and that's what we are, a vapor. And he took that to apply it to grinding. It's like, so since you're just a vapor and you're going to exist for just a short while and soon you will be gone, so do what it is you said you're going to do now. Because if you know to do good and do it or not, for you it is sin. And what he's applying that to the whole context. You know what right is. You know what needs to be done. You know what you're supposed to be doing with your life, but you're putting it off for tomorrow. So for you, that is sin. You do what you know to do now because your life ain't but a vapor. And when you're pushing stuff off in tomorrow and when you're putting stuff off into later, he's saying that boasting and such boasting is evil. It's all in this context of the shortness of your life. So to put off the good that you're supposed to do for, to, for latter days, in the mind of James, he's saying you're boasting. And such type of boasting is evil. So instead of putting everything out, do it now. And when something needs to be done tomorrow, he said, put it on the Lord's will. Don't boast and put your hope into the future because your life ain't but a vapor. And it is something that we need to take to heart. It is something that we need to grasp. It's something that we need to understand. Because death is a certain thing. And it is something that we cannot prevent. In the sense of we don't know when it comes. Everybody just think about it. How often that you know somebody or you found out that somebody you knew died and your first thought is we was just. Like I was just talking to him the other day. Like how long you think it take to die? It's a moment. And even when we know people that have been sick and in the hospital and battling and going through and they end up dying. It still hits you the same way. Like I was just over there. I was just thinking about going to see them. It's still this suddenness and this finality that comes when we experience death. And the tragic accident and the slow fade still hits us the same way. It's because our mind has been conditioned through getting up, laying down, getting up, laying down, that we're going to continue on this same path for forever. And no matter how many times we experience death around us and our family or close to us, it still doesn't register to us that this is the fate of all men. And the suddenness of it is the reality of it. Because we presume that it's going to go forever. And if we take the wisdom of the scriptures, we take times where tragedy and mourning is going on and we use those times and opportunities to reflect. Because it is wisdom for us to consider that death is a reality and life is short. Because that's, that's, that's a very disrespectful thing that James said. Like you ain't nothing but a vapor. A fading, expiring piece of gas. 
that's 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 that deep. Like you're a cosmic fart. <laughs> you come out, make a little impact, and then you go. <laughs> that's deep. But that's who we are. Go to Job. Job chapter 30. Job 30, verse 23. This is Job's reflection when he was down and he praying and he talking to God. But notice his understanding of, of life and his frailty. Watch what he say. Verse 23. So I know that thou wilt bring me to death into the house appointed for all living. This is Job. He's saying this is I know what's going to happen. You're going to bring me to death. And look how he defines death as the house appointed for all living. So this is the state. This is the, the, the dwelling place of everything that living. So when we think about death it got like a very high, high successful rate. Like, say, ain't too many recidivisms when it comes to death. We got like five people. Well, no, it's a bit more than that, but it's very few. And even the ones that, that make a chance to get out and come back, they end up dying again. It's a sad thing. Like Lazarus. Lazarus got out. He was delivered. But Lazarus died again. Because that's the house appointed for all living. I read testimonies and stories about people that have been raised from the dead. In modern times. And they get raised and live for a good long time. Then all of a sudden they're dead again. Like, man, it was great. I got delivered. But I had to go back 30 years later. <laughs> like, man. But this is Job's concept of death. It's the house appointed for all living. Go to Psalms 89. Psalms 89. Verse 46 says, How long, Lord? How long would thou hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is, and wherefore hast thou made all men vain? What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? This, this is the question. Like, what man is it that liveth that shall not see death? Shall a man deliver his soul from the grave? Like is something, is there something that a man can do that can cause this man to escape death? Because in the eyes of the psalmist, death is the destiny of human beings. 
This is what's going to happen to us all. And this is something that we have to take into account. This is something that we need to contemplate. This is something that should be on our lips, especially in times like this, where everybody's thinking about the tragedy of death. This is your time and opportunity to point to the real picture that the great tragedy that happened to one shall happen to all. I think about it. I was watching this thing. Like I said, y'all know by now I'm a big basketball fan. I was watching the story of this dude, Lynn Byers. And Lynn Byers was a very tragic story. Basketball, great in college. High praise. Everybody expected him to go to the league and just be the king supreme. Got drafted by the Boston Celtics. And they thought this dude going to rival Larry Bird for taking over the Celtics. Larry got a running mate, and it's game over. Celtics finna win every championship. On draft night, Lynn Bias went out to celebrate. And he's celebrating in his dorm room with his classmates and his peers. And somebody said they wanted to take the party to a whole nother level. And so they bring in Coke. And so they drinking and snorting Coke. Lynn Bias took a good hit and overdosed. And he passed out and he convulsing like what happened when people overdosed. And, and that thing, it always strike me when I listen because they play back the, the, the 911 call that his friend gave. And the guy, he's in a panic. And all he kept saying is, it's Lynn Byers. It's Lynn Byers. And the lady trying to get information like what's going on and do keep repeating. It's Lynn Byers. And the lady on the 911 call, she don't know how profound she was. She made the response. I don't care what this name is. What's going on? And that always stuck with me. Because it it was a scriptural truth. In this dude's mind, this can't be happening because this is Lynn Bias. It ain't supposed to happen to him. And when the lady responds, I don't care what his name is, she spoke the great truth of, it happens to the great as unto the no name. Death is not a respecter person. His heart won't gonna start back beating because he heard that man, oh, this lean by, it won't supposed to touch him. And the, like I said, that, that 911 call, it, it just rings in me. To hear her say, it doesn't matter what his name is. Because the great die with the small. The king sold to the peasant. It all puts us on a land, uh, a level playing field. This is the reality of being human. And just because you're great and people revere your name, that does not mean you're not human. Your life is still short. Your life is still nothing but a vapor. An expiring gas that shall soon disappear. This is the scripture's description of who we are. And that death is the resting place, it's the ending place for everybody who cracks through the matrix of their mother's womb. This is just our destiny as human beings. And it's wisdom for us to take this into heart. We need to think about it. There's no special death. There's like not not no, I'm saying no 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 um no 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 top level death. You don't have an Oprah Rimper death. 
and then big old down there in, 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 in Gill Village. Just like Oprah died, big old down there in Gill Village, they died just the same. And their life are both just as frail. And money and status and social recognition does not give you any special status when it comes to death. Death don't care. Your life is still short. Your life is still a vapor. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It says, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. It's like showing a parallel. But the point we pulling in this one that is there's an appointment for man. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. That this is an appointment on every last one of our books. We're going to have to leave and separate from this body and from this planet. It's just reality. And so we need to think about it. We need to be conscious of it. That this is our existence. You got this appointment. Once to die and then the judgment. And just to touch on this since we pointed out that this once to die and then the judgment. What does he mean? Because the question can be answered. Once we leave this existence do we immediately enter into the presence of God to stand before the throne of God to be judged? Like, what happens? What what goes on once we exit? Because we know we're going to have to get up out of here. So what's going to happen when we get up out of here? And now the scripture gives us a couple different pictures of what takes place when we exit this thing. And let's look at a couple of them. Go to Luke. Well, go to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And we'll end with Luke. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. <laughs> Let's see starting point. Where does it start at there? Verse 1. It said, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few. And those that look out of the window be darkened. 
and the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also when they shall be afraid of what is nigh and fear shall be in the way and the almond tree shall flourish and the grasshopper shall be burdened and the desire shall fail because man goeth to his long home and the mourners go about the streets or ever the silver cord be loosed or the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher be broken at the fountain or the wheel be broken at the cistern then shall the dust return to the earth as it was and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it vanity of vanity said the preacher all is vanities now this is a very poetic and long drawn out picture and the picture he painted is right now when you're in your youth when you're in your strength he said remember now your creator and he's saying while you're in your youth you have remembrance of your creator because the evil days shall come and he begins to draw out a, a, a long poetic picture of what he means by the evil days and he gives this picture of darkness where the windows shall be shut and the, and, the, and the grass shall flourish it and the mourners shall be in the street and what he's painting is a picture of death that for you the evil days are coming and those evil days will be a time of darkness basically when life as you see it shall be shut down and you will be the flourishing of the grass that grass gonna grow you gonna make it grow and people are going to be walking alone in the streets mourning and feeling sad. And he's painting this long poetic picture of death. This is the evil days that he's talking about. He's like these evil days are coming. So now you need to remember your creator. And he said what's going to happen? He said in those evil days he said then shall the dust return to the earth as it was and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So he painted a picture of this final moment of this darkness of this heaviness but in the mind of Solomon this darkness this heaviness is not an end your body is going to go down it's going to return to the dust it's going to decay you're going to help the grass grow you're going to be nourishment to some piece of cattle somewhere they're going to eat it the nutrients that come from your body Going to enter back into this earth. That's what's going to happen to your body. But then he said the spirit shall return back to the Lord who gave it. And so the question is what happens to that spirit that returns back to the Lord who gave it. Go to the Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 20. This is Paul speaking. Look at his expectation. So according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to God is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I will not. For I am a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. This is Paul, and he's having this conversation with himself and with these people. It's like, in nothing shall I be ashamed, because I'm going to glorify God. 
whether in my life or in death, I'm going to bring glory to God. And then he creates this juxtaposition. It's like I'm in a straight betwixt two. So I'm, I'm stuck. I got two options. Either I can stay here and labor and work, and that's going to benefit y'all. Or I can die and go be with God, and that's going to benefit me. But in the mind of Paul, those were the only two options that he had. So either I'm going to be here working for Christ, helping and benefiting y'all, or I'm going to leave here and be with Christ. So in his mind, once he left, he was going to be in the glory of God. He was going to be with Christ. And the exiting of this body was going to be entering into the presence of God. And that's the concept that he had. So when we think about our exiting in this world, we need to know that we're only exiting in this world and entering into a new one. So as soon as we leave here, we're going to create a brand new life of existence. So as we exit this world, we're entering into a new world. To be absent from the body, as he said in Corinthians, is to be present with the Lord. That's Paul's concept. When we leave, we leave here and we go be with God. And Jesus talks about the same picture. Go to Luke. Luke 23. Luke 23. Verse 39. Well, 42, we start at 42 of Luke 23. Just looking at the words of Jesus. On the cross, and the dude speaking to Jesus, the two thieves that was hung with Jesus. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Dearly I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So Jesus telling this man, who's about to die, very at the very door of death, that today, like by the end of the day, when all of this is over with, you're going to be with me in paradise. So there's this picture of exiting the cross and entering into paradise. And that's the concept that Jesus has of death. That once you leave this world, you enter into another one. Go to Luke 16. A very famous story. We're going to look at it and glean a little bit from it. Luke 16 verse 19. It says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. 
And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which pass from you hence, so they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father, Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. This is, this is heavy. But in this picture, Jesus brings some heavy truth to bear. And he gives us a picture of life after death. Now, some people try to debate, and they say it's just a parable. And we're not going to even get into the depths of it, but I don't think it's a parable because Jesus specified in the way that he opened the story up. Don't seem like a parable, but even if it was, what is the lesson that he's teaching in the parable? What is it that he's trying to teach and that he's trying to demonstrate? And it is the concept of reward that happens after death. And if you look at the picture, the way Jesus crafted it, said that Lazarus died and the angels escorted him into Abraham's bosom. So Lazarus exited this world and entered into eternity being escorted and he called it in reference to Abraham's bosom. And his place in the story is reported as a place of comfort that he's now receiving good things. So he entered into eternity Receiving all these good things. Now, what is absent from this story? As we read Hebrews 9, 27. It says, appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. It seems that the faith of these men was entered to immediately. That it shows no picture of them standing before God, of them having their deeds Revealed to them of them receiving some type of judgment. But they they entered into this state immediately. One in torment. One with reward and comfort. Immediately. And that's a grim picture. And and it, and it, it coincides with the thing that Paul was talking about. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So he had this idea of as soon as I leave this place I'm going to be with God. And Jesus gives us the opposite picture that as soon as the wicked leave this place, they're going to be in torment. So the man left and immediately he lifted up his eyes being in torment. That's deep. That's heavy. There's no no time for you to get yourself ready. But as soon as you entered and he busts eternity wide open. He enters straight into a place of torment. And it gives us this grim picture of torment to show us that life continues after we die. Because if we read it, it says that he lifted up his eyes. That shows an awareness that he understood. 
that he was able to see and discern. He recognized Abraham. He recognized Lazarus. And he was still conscious. Because Abraham could appeal to him and say, don't you remember that in your life you received good things? And so he was appealing to his understanding and his awareness of the life that he lived. So this dude, his memory still existed beyond the grave. He could reflect and understand his life and what it is that he did and what it is that he received while also being conscious of his state. So our consciousness exists beyond this time of the grave and our memory exists beyond this time of the grave. But also his awareness and his concept of who he was to continue to exist. He understood that he had five brothers. He knew the life that they lived. And he still had a concern and a compassion for his brethren. So our identity as we are, all of our makeup within continues beyond this life. Because he was concerned about his brothers. He was worried about them. So he remembered that he had them. He knew that they were his brothers and he knew what was going on in their life. All of these things continue beyond the grave. And the worst thing, desire continues. Because being in torment, he said, would you please get him? Just, just get me a tip of water. Just, just a little bit and put it on my tongue because I'm tormented. So he had passion. He wanted something. And the amazing thing is it seems to be heightened. Because how many of you have ever been just desperate, exhausted, thirsty, and thought that you would be satisfied with just a tip of water? Man, you have been like up saying we 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 live in Alabama. July, August, man, them hundred and ten degrees that you get you get tortures. Have you ever thought like, man, if somebody just sprinkle water on my forehead, I will be cool. <laughs> Especially if you ride with me, because I don't I just the one old down, no air conditioning, nothing, just getting it. Feel the little bees coming down your back. <laughs> but you ever just thought that just, yeah, if you put a little piece of water right there, I ain't going to be thirsty no more. <laughs> so his, his desire was there and it was heightened to the point where he would just, like, if you just give me a little bit. So he was still conscious. He still had feelings because he recognized that he was being tormented. It was hurting him. He still was conscious of his identity, who he was. He remembered his life. He was conscious of his family. He was conscious of his people. And his mind still worked. He rationalized that, hey, if somebody come back from the dead, these people would he listen. All of these things winning. And an amazing thing that go on, we do not see judgment spoke of in this thing whatsoever. But we, what we don't see also is a complaint. He pleaded for his brothers. He pleaded for just a little bit of mercy with the water. But what he did not do was complain that his position was unjust. He was in torment. And he did not utter a complaint that his position was unjust. The question did not come, what am I doing here? Why am I in torment? Neither of those questions came. He asked for relief. He asked for his family. And 
None of the question came to his mind of why is it that I'm in this place? And that leads me to the conclusion that once we enter into this state that we are where we're supposed to be. And that our consciousness will understand us being where we are. And it's not this long drawn out process where God had to prove to you that you deserve to be there. That you're going to be where you're going to be. It ain't nothing you can do about it once you cross through that door called death. Because he said there is a chasm between us and you. And if you wanted to come over here, you could not. So let us know that the Catholics got it wrong. Because they give this picture that they call purgatory of this place where we go through and and our refining and our sanctification is completed in that place. That you in this this quasi-state between judgment and, and life and you just existing and however long it takes for you to live off and get all your bad deeds off you, then you get to enter into glory. That's purgatory. That's a lie. Because once this dude opened up his eyes, he was where he was and there was no turning back. He said, there's a gulf fixed between us. So ain't nothing you can do to get over here and ain't nothing we can do to go over there that we are where we are. So this state is fixed. You enter into eternity, fully conscious, fully aware, existing just like you existing now. All your faculties still work. In whatever state you are, when you exit, it's the state that you will be when you enter, either in the presence of God or absent from the presence of God. There is no change in that. Are y'all with me? Go to the book of Revelation. We'll end with this. Revelations chapter 20. Revelations chapter 20 verse 11. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And soever was not found written in the book of the in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this come the judgment. But we saw the picture that in this death, you enter into a state, either in the presence of God or absent from the presence of God. But here in the book of Revelations, we see finally this time of of judgment. And he said he saw the dead, small and great. So everybody, the people we revere, the people we hold up, and the people we never heard of, they all standing before the throne of God. Small and great. There is no separation. They're there. And look where he said they came from. Verse 13. It said the sea gave up the dead which were in it. 
And death and the hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they would judge every man according to their works. So every dead all over splattered would came up for judgment. And the picture is, is that God took people out of hell and brought them before the throne of judgment. And that always seemed torturous to me. They're like, God, no, what you do that for? Could just, just imagine, just set your mind and think back, like the people who died, like 4 BC. Like that was a long time ago. They've been in torment since 4 BC. That's a long time to be tormented. And it's going to come a day where God going to take them from the place of torment and bring them before the throne of God. And if I was just, I just imagine, because I don't understand and we don't get the picture enough, because I just hear my mind like, oh, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> finally it's over I made it bro and you see yourself in front of the throne of God and now after all this time of torment you he finna judge you like what you been doing all these years I've been suffering for years but now I'm about to be judged and you go from this place of judgment into this other place called the lake of fire after you've been judged and so that lets us know that hell is not eternal. Because hell itself is said going to be cast into the lake of fire. So God going to take the whole thing. And get rid of it. And put you in this another place. This is like them prisons that got out of jail last week. Right here in Alabama, one of our worst prisons is Holman Prison. Like. That's a death trap, most people refer to it as. It's old, and so the building's killing people. And you got, it's death, that's why death row is. And so you got jokers down there with life, no parole, waiting on death row, so they don't kill. So to stab you over orange ain't a big deal to them. Like, what they gonna do to me? Kill me? That's what should happen to me anyway. The whole man is torturous. There's a couple summers ago where the workers stopped going to work. They refused to go to work. The guards, the people who supposed to keep it safe, they refused to go to work because the prisoners had took it over. They took over the prison to the correctional officers and say, we weren't going, we ain't going up in there because folks was getting stabbed and dying like every day. There's a video that got out. A dude in jail down there at Holman on his illegal cell phone he called his mama, video chat. Like, mama, it crazy down here. You need to come get me. I can't. <laughs> this is the, the thug gangster in prison. On his illegal cell phone, he pleaded like, mama, come help me. They, they going crazy up in here. They didn't took over this thing. But just recently, a lot of them got out. Because they shut down half of the prison. But they shut down half of the prison, let them out to send them to another prison. Because our great governor is finna rebuild some whole new big old fancy things for them. So they're going to get out of this old rundown prison and go to a brand new prison. But they still going to be locked up. And one day Warden still going to put that needle in their arm 
and they still going to receive that same execution. But that's the picture that I get when I think about this. Like, you you already locked up. So he's going to take me out of lockup to put me in a bigger, better, worse lockup. So hell is not eternal. It's an immediate, intermediate state. You exit this life, you enter into hell, and you're going to stay there until the day of judgment. And at the day of judgment, you're going to be raised, brought before God, and then cast into the lake of fire. Then God's going to ball up the whole thing and throw it in the lake of fire. You and everybody that's supposed to be down there with you. But in 21, we also get another picture. It says, continuing Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any pain anymore. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said unto me, Write these things, for the words are true and faithful. This is a beautiful picture. And the parallel is a stark contrast. So you got this picture of these people being raised from hell, brought to judgment, and cast down into the lake of fire. But then you got this contrasting picture where God got this brand new city. He referred to it as New Jerusalem. And he said, heaven and earth going to be made brand new. What teaches us a new thing? That dude in 4 BC who entered into this place of paradise, into the presence of God. He was dwelling in this place that we refer to as heaven. In the very presence of God. Enjoying the beauty and the wonder and the holiness of God. It's going to be one day where God going to renovate his home. Heaven is not eternal. That's not where we're going to dwell for forever. But God said he's going to recreate a heaven in earth. And this new heaven he's going to bring. He's going to join it down to earth. And we're going to have this whole new concept of heaven and earth all being together. And this is where we're going to dwell for forever. That's why Jesus said the meek shall inherit the earth. This is our home. But God going to make us a new one, y'all. It's like they, they, people worry about global warming and, and, and house sprays destroying the earth. Like, that's all right. I got a new pal. It's like when your old jays, your, when your new jays become your grass cutting shoes. Now, man, you out there cutting grass in them jays? Like, no, it's okay, dude. I got a new pal. And I got a new pal of heaven and earth. That's going to be the home for all of our existence. I got a new pal. So that one that they got up there now is cool. I'm saying I want to go there. I want to experience that a little bit. But that's just for a little while because I'm going to get a new one. And God put me there until he recreates a whole new one and he's going to bring it back to this brand new earth. We're going to dwell on earth for forever. A brand new existence. A brand new creation. And this is our destiny. And he said this place, ain't no more dying, ain't no more crying, ain't no more pain, ain't no more sorrow. All that stuff going to go away. 
And that's why in Timothy it refers to Jesus as the one who abolished death. Death is the torturer of all men. But Christ came as our Savior and he said he came and he abolished death. He completely got rid of it. So now our life and our hope is an entrance into a heavenly Jerusalem where death does not exist anymore. But for those who reject Christ, they're hoping they're existence into this lake of fire where death is a perpetual thing that will never end. But that's the hope of what will happen. And I guess we might as well keep going since we're here. What it going to be like when we get there? But not what it going to be like, but what we going to be like. And that hope and that picture is what we call the resurrection. And I guess we'll talk about that next week. Anybody got any questions? Just an agonizing, ongoing dying. I would take the ladder. Oh, oh, people thrown in the lake of fire. You say, are they killed permanently? Or is it an ongoing agony and perpetual dying? So like you're saying, are they just like dead and just cease to exist? Uh Annihilation? Or is this this condition? Continuous torment that's going to last for an extended, extended period of time. And I would say it's the latter. And the reason I would say so, we'll get into more detail next week when we talk about the resurrection. But annihilationism is a strong belief and it's a growing belief in even in evangelical Christianity. Where they believe that once you die, you're dead, you're done, and you just sleep in the dirt. And only the people who are righteous will live forever. But those who are wicked will cease to exist. But because of the teaching on the resurrection, I don't believe that. And we'll point that out when we go talking about the resurrection. But I believe the latter that it's going to be going on and on and on. Any other? Okay, so it sounds like from what we read that after death, immediately you will be in hell or in paradise. So isn't that a form of judgment to decide which way, which where you're going when you die. It, it is, <laughs> it it is a form, but it's not the. It's almost like our court system. If you think about it, we do the same thing. We just don't realize and we mess up and we got bail. Ain't no bail. God don't give bail. It's like when you're arrested and you're accused of a crime, they arrest you and they put you in jail, and they hold you until it's time for court. And once you go to court, they put you in prison. And so that's the picture we got. So you can think of hell like going to jail. You sit down at the counter. Then one day you're going to go before the judge and he's going to cash you into prison, which is the lake of fire. So yes, so it's a form of judgment. You are arrested and you are being charged guilty of not being worthy of being in the presence of God. But that's the picture that God gives. Even throughout his parables, he show you when he come, he say, he tell one group, you enter into the presence, the other group, you go away from me into everlasting torment and flame. So this is the picture that we get. That hey. That's why Revelation end with that messed up verse. Let him who is righteous be un- be righteous still. Him who is unjust be unjust still. So is the separate the initial separation itself from God is hell itself? I would like meaning you're not connected to life. So you're literally you're you're the fact that you're separated means you're in here. Yes. So, since 
afterwards when people are raised up to the, I guess, the final judgment or the, the judgment, is it possible for one who was in paradise to end up in the lake of fire and vice versa? Like, God said, oh, man, you got by. You open up here. We don't see any indication of that being possible. Because those who enter into life, they enter in, in, into life. So you enter into that state and you're in that state. So what you are, you will remain. And so I don't see it possible for God. Like, hold up, man, God, Lee, like, my sword was messed up. Now you running through the conveyor belt of life and God's sword of God jammed and he pushed you down the wrong lanes. If you load trucks, you understand. <laughs> like, like, God, look at that box up over go to Indiana. I'm low for New York. Now, I don't see any indication of that being possible. But is, um, so there's an initial judgment that Evan was speaking of. At death, you're sorted, basically. You, y'all go over here, and y'all go over here. And that's waiting until these other, until the new earth is created and the, and the eternal damnation is is holding place, is yeah. created. So those places do not exist according to this line of logic that we're on right now. Currently, obviously the new earth don't exist yeah. where we would end up. And so those who are judged for eternal damnation, their place of existence does not exist yet. That's an assumption we will be able to, we will have to make because all the scripture refers to it is as you enter, he say he just took them out and cast them into the lake of fire. So it don't make any reference to creating the lake of fire at that moment. But in 21, he does talk about him making a new heaven and a new earth. So it seems like that's a crafting that's going to take place. But I, I, I can't say 100% on the other. So I've always wrestled with like, okay, God created man. Man was righteous initially, right? So would their bodies have, had they not sinned, had, would their bodies already, their bodies would have never been corrupted, right? Because they would not have sinned and neither would the earth. So did God, I mean, to me, I, if I follow that line of logic, I would have to think that God had already prepared for this sin. Or the act of sin just, like, I don't. Sort it out. Go ahead. Okay. So if man had not sinned, there would not have been this corruption. So with this, the way we live, our bodies now, well, the the bodies we would have, the sinless bodies we would have had. Would the, that been our uncorruptible body? Like, I don't. I would think so, just because a couple of comments that, that that's made in the scripture. One was being either after the original judgment, when he talks to make reference to the tree of life. It's like he closed the way to the tree of life because if man partake of it, he shall live forever. So there was some provisions made within that original garden that would allow our bodies to continue in existence. And so and Romans 8 talks about how the creation itself groans and waiting for the day of redemption. So because it was made subject unto vanity. So it was placed into this state that this is not the original way that God made it. So all the decay, all the corruption, all the the, the, the entropy that we go through, I think that's a, a 
a response from the judgment, not how we were originally created to make. We see signs of the splendor that we're supposed to have in the fact that our cells heal themselves. And we got these white blood cells that can do all type of crazy things. So we see that we we made with a body that was designed to go on. But it don't always work now. And them cells don't replicate at the right speed that they're supposed to. And some of them replicate too fast and just get all out of hand. So that shows us signs that this body was made and designed to go on. But some ain't quite right. You understand what I'm saying? So I think, yes, we would have been in existence. And I really think that there was a change that took place to the form and the nature of our bodies in and of itself. And just in the way that the scriptures refer to our current state as the likeness of corruptible flesh or the likeness of sinful flesh. So, yeah. Um. The scripture that talks about, you know, after Jesus was crucified, that he went down and he preached in hell. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm still trying to wrap my head around this judgment thing and the need to even preach to those in hell if there wasn't an opportunity for them to yeah. not be in hell. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that is a very. debated scripture and and what does exactly mean because in one sense you can see it it, the way you read it and the way you said that he went and he preached to them he he made it known he declared what was going on his triumph so some take it as he declared his triumph that y'all rejected and y'all then almost like a 999 now type thing that (laughs) i don't go to that thing i think it was just jesus demonstrating the fullness of who he was even in the grave that he was showing and declaring all that he was and all that he has and his victory over death even in the grave but that's something we have to walk through in the full context of the thing to show you how how it get there does the bible talk about um does the bible say that everybody will get a chance to hear the gospel and then if if it doesn't if everybody won't for those people who don't hear the gospel, will they um, still go to be with God forever, or will they be in the lake of fire? So does the Bible give a promise to everybody that they will hear the gospel? No. It said that this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in every nation. So it's going to make it all the way around the world. But what the Bible depicts is that God has designed the world away and made man in such a way that the knowledge of God is innate. And so there's a searching that God desires to take place based off the way he designed you and the way he set up the universe that should send men on a search for God. And if they search for him, they shall find him. But the picture that Romans 1 paint is they reject this knowledge and they don't search for God, but rather they worship the creation more than the creator. And so there's a turning away from God that happens at this very small level that that creates the level of judgment so that they are without excuse. And so those people will be judged based on the light that they have, based on the mercy that they have received, they will be punished. Now, Scripture shows that there are certain levels of judgment and there are certain levels of punishment that all sin is equal in the sense that all sin is going to lead you to hell. But in there, there are going to be some greaters. Like Jesus made statements to the Pharisees that it's going to be worse for you in the day of judgment. So that means he think that it's, it's like it's going to be a little bit different. 
And he talks about those nations who rejected him and didn't respond to his signs and his miracles and his preaching. It's like you're going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it is to you. But he ain't said Sodom and Gomorrah going to get a pass because when I came down there, I just came to judge. But when I came to you, I came to bring life and show miracles. Like, no, they're going to get the same thing you get, but y'all going to get it worse. So there is knowledge of God. Through Romans chapter 1, Acts chapter 17, he talks about how God designed the world so that we can feel after him. So everybody has a responsibility for the knowledge that God has given them. And the lack of J. Black catching you on a Friday night is not an excuse that you ain't going to get what the um, rich man got. Yeah, so my follow-up question is, so everybody, you're saying everybody will have... Um, something inside of them to know that there is God and that there is truth, you know. And so it's up to them to seek it. If basically, if they really have that knowledge and they want to know, God will reveal the gospel to them. Yes, that's the only way we can find God is he demonstrates himself. We are not wise enough to figure God out. We're not smart enough to, to, to come up with all that's needed and understood for salvation. The only way we know anything is through revelation. But we have the responsibility to seek that out. That's why he gave us mind. That's why he gave us this inquisitive nature. That's why the, Solomon talks about he set eternity in our heart. So there are certain questions that we ask that sends us on a search for journey. We attach meaning to everything. And if we take it all the way through, we should look for an ultimate meaning. That we, we look for a cause and we look for a purpose to everything. And if we take that all the way out, we got to find that there has to be this ultimate cause giver, this ultimate purpose maker. And that when we see creation, we, we innately look for a design and we innately look for the reason for being. So if we take those things and allow those things to push us and compel us, that will lead us on this search for God. That morality and justice is innate in us. That we get angry, we get upset when we feel like we have been mistreated. And that should take us to understand, to, to search for the ultimate lawgiver. But most people don't. They accept whatever it is that they've been given or they reject whatever it is that God has given them and what leads to all this other foolishness, what leads to rejection. Any other questions? In Matthew 18, it talks about um, that it tells if you not, where'd it go? Um, well, I will read it. And he said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as a little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, I remember one time you teach about kids as a sinner, like they're born mm -hmm. like a sinner. So, how, if they are a sinner, how would become we be like converted and come as little children? Okay, good question. And the answer to the question is understanding what he means. He makes the follow-up statement in verse 4 when he says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same shall be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so what he means by being converted and becoming as a little child is being humble and become dependent and seeing yourself as less than what you really are. Just like little children need and depend upon their fathers and their, their mothers and their caregivers so we need to get in that place where we see ourselves and we see our weakness and we see our frailties and our need. So being converted and becoming as a little child is a synonym for saying humble yourself. Pipe down and don't think that you can do it all on your own.
This is in reference kind of to last week and um, how we all receive uh, judgment or after judgment according to our work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how does that connect with the um, the parable of the workers when um, Jesus was talking about the parable of the, the man hired people mm-hmm. to go out and work and when he hired at what, I mean, just I forget the exact reference, but some hired at one o'clock, they went work, and some hired at five o'clock, some hired at six or whatever. And then at the end, he came and gave everyone all of them the same reward. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed that he was talking about the kingdom of God, and he, he didn't, didn't, I'm not sure he exactly referenced the afterlife, but it seemed to make that. Yeah, it make reference. that connection. Yeah. <clears throat> and the way that connects is. Because the point he was pointing at was aiming at the the Jews and the Pharisees. And so the picture is is that there are some people who are going to be living for Christ, carrying the brunt of it, and they're going to be grinding and doing their things for the bulk of their lives. And there are some others who are going to get in and join in on the party at the very end. And what he's saying is when it comes to entering in or just the overall reward, I have the right to give to the one that came at the end and the one that labored for forever the same thing. And so that's the basis of it, that how long you work don't qualify you to enter in. You get to enter in just like the person who worked for a little short time. So there's going to be some people who you minister to and who you witness to, and they're going to get saved, and you're going to find out like a day or two later that they don't die. But when you enter into glory, they're going to be there wrapped up with you. And so that's the picture he pointing at, that to these Jews, y'all think y'all been doing the things, but these Johnny come lately, they get the same thing y'all get, and it's on the sovereignty of God, he can do with his stuff whatever he want to. But that's the whole, that's all it's talking about, that the folks who work for a short time, the folks who work for a long time, both of them get to enter in. That's it. all yours.